Hello again, and welcome back to the show with your hosts, Brian. And John. You're listening to The Big Balance, the podcast for anybody looking for clear, simple advice they can actually apply. Give us a little of your time each week, and we'll help you figure out work, life, and everything in between. Well, Brian, uh, as is tradition, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Not doing too bad. Can't complain. Um, the, the weather is finally starting to get a little bit cooler, so I'm I'm very much more in my element. I'm happy. I don't like the heat, so I welcome the fall weather. It feels like that weird time where I don't know whether I need my air conditioner on or off, and it feels like it changes every hour. Oh, absolutely. We've been back and forth with it. The I think the air is on right now, but it will be off in probably about maybe eh, when we're done recording. I've seen a little bit more frequently than I think I have in the past, um, specifically on our Twitter feed, uh, kind of the idea of self-help books. And I kind of thought they were a thing of the past, but I think I've been seeing different spins and variations on the how-to and the self-help books. Brian, are you seeing any of that or, or what's your familiarity with the with self-help books at all? Sure. And by Twitter feed, do you mean at the big balance the official twitter handle of the show perhaps that sounds about right yeah i believe it is no i don't i don't have a whole lot of experience with it and when i randomly throw music on during the workday sometimes i use pandora but a lot of the times i just use youtube and based on the ads i get the internet must think i am just a sad sorry individual because i keep getting commercials for these self-help seminars and I don't know which seminar this is, but the, the phrase is etched into my mind, the coward dies a thousand deaths. And I don't remember what that is. I'll have to go back and look it up. But clearly YouTube thinks I have a problem that desperately needs to be solved. No, and that's that's exactly it. The, that's a different spin on the same you know age-old concept of the self-help. Basically, self-improvement, which is not too far off on what the goal of this podcast is, but... I, I do want to say we are not a self-help podcast, not not in any sense of the word, because because we can't even help ourselves. Yeah, exactly. We don't know what the hell we're doing. So, yeah, I think that that's uh, the crux of what I want to talk about today. So if you'll indulge me, let's go down another rabbit hole. How to self-help. It's something we've seen so often that it's become cliche. It's been played out that it's almost reserved a spot in satire, a la How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, The Idiot's Guide to How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Okay, fair. These aren't all straight and strict how-to guides or self-help books, but the point remains. There's an entire section at Barnes & Noble's, and that's a bookstore for those of you who have forgotten, dedicated to how-to guides. And that's where they live, in that section, and in that section alone, lest we're using how-to as a joke or the punchline. But where do these modern self-help books evolve from? And how effective are how-to and self-help guides? Let's take a look at one of the most famous and enduring examples in today's episode and explore its impact, and maybe we can answer the question, do they actually work? 
I just want to say, I feel a bit personally attacked by the whole, oh, bookstore, you like that old people? <laughs> no, I totally still go to bookstores, by the way. I, I still, I go to bookstores too, are you kidding me? That's That was that was my way of saying the the kids who only know Amazon and shit like that. It wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't an, a boomer type thing, it was the opposite, it was okay, Zoomer. So. <laughs> no offense to the Zoomer audience out there. Well, logic tells me that no one self-help book or guide really has all the answers almost like planned or designed obsolescence we can't give away all of the secret sauce and certainly not all of it at once right you put yourself out of business which brian herein lies my cynicism for self-help and how-to guides and i'll be very forthcoming i think a lot of it is a bunch of mumbo jumbo author and folks who do this for profit need to create a sustainable and constant stream of people looking for answers I can't have all the answers to life problems. Obviously, it's impossible. But I can also only share a little tease of my experience and anecdotal knowledge. Otherwise, you won't need me anymore. So I can only tease it a little bit at a time. So again, this is a very cynical approach. But there has to be some truth here. Right, Brian? What I'll also say, I feel like a lot of times these books are more marketing material than a standalone product. You look at a lot of these self-help book authors and nine out of 10 times, they have a, a conference or a seminar or things like that. And I think a lot of the time, the book is there to serve more of a dual purpose. It's to get people hyped for the conference who are familiar with that author. So maybe bring some people in and for anybody not familiar with that author, have them say, Hey, check out this person. They're a published author. So they must have the credentials needed to be worth your time. And that's, that's a really good point, and that also brings up another question for me. How really benevolent are these guides, gurus, authors, influencers? Are they really out there to help you be the best version of themselves? The best version of themselves? Like they're making clones. Insidious. Are they really out there to help you be the best version of yourself, or are they simply preying on insecurities? My verdict, it's a mixed bag. Uh, I equate it, and I want to be very clear here, I am in no way equating the type of work or level of skill, requirements, anything like that. I am simply equating to what I'm going to call the moral dilemma. But I equate it to the role of like a therapist or a counselor, right? Of course they're getting paid to be there, but that doesn't mean they don't care about what they're doing and the impact they're trying to make. I don't look at a teacher any differently because they get paid to teach my kid. I truly believe that most of them care beyond any monetary figure or value that you can put on it, and certainly beyond any type of compensation requirement and some type of contract, we'll call it. Well, let's talk more about the therapist role, because you bring that up as a not a parallel, but in the same neighborhood, right? The difference... They kind of live together, right? Yeah, but the difference for me is when you're talking to a therapist... Let me take a step back first to, to self-help books. The goal of a book is to sell you on an idea. They want you to buy into the notion that if you do this, that, and the other, you're going to achieve this result that you're aching for. The better ones might include a, a pretty clear roadmap on how to get there. The not-so-good ones will maybe phone it in or not even try to include that map. But either way, it's never going to be more than just a map. Working with a therapist, that person's actually helping you along with the journey, right? And therein lies the difference, at least for me. Some people might just want that map up a mountain, and that's fine. Get the book. 
But for anybody who thinks they may need a Sherpa along the way to make sure they actually get there, someone acting as a, a coach or a counselor may be what that person needs. Exactly. And I think that's a good distinction to make is that it is proticized. There has to be some logical end or end result that you're aiming for. And I think you hit the nail perfectly on the head that you're you're promoting a lifestyle, an idea, something specific and something particular. Well, today, I think let's take a look at one of the most enduring examples of the self-help genre. Brian, may I introduce to you Mr. Dale Carnegie. So as a little bit of a background on my main man, Dale, he was born in Missouri with a pretty average upbringing to farmer parents. Uh, He went to school in a one-room schoolhouse, uh, but he always had a knack for public speaking, did the debate team, all that fun stuff. So he eventually goes to college, graduates, and his first job after college actually was in sales. He sold correspondence courses to farmers, and I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't do a lot of research on what that is, so I'm just going to assume that's some, some type of catalog learning or something like that, maybe a precursor to online or MBA courses, those kind of things that you take. But Yeah, it's distance learning, and we actually talked about uh, Colonel Sanders back in episode 24. He got his law degree through a correspondence program. Gotcha. That's what it would be, correspondence courses. So there you go. You learn something new every day. Through correspondence courses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, through our own correspondence, actually. Um, but he eventually moves into selling things like bacon, soap, home goods, um, and he's actually pretty successful doing this, um, but he decides that the salesman life isn't for him, and he decides that he wants to, with some of his savings, uh, become, I believe it's pronounced Chautauqua Lecturer. It was an adult education movement, and totally did that research, not on the fly here, <laughs> uh, but He ultimately wasn't very successful in this either, but while he was there, I think he went to New York and tried his hand at acting. Um, No dice here. He went on a traveling company, but ended up back in New York and was actually living in a YMCA when he decided that his calling was to teach public speaking. And thus, what we now know today as the Dale Carnegie uh, Leadership Courses uh, was born. The big thing to note here is that He was pretty in tune, and he tapped into pretty early on people's desire to boost this self-confidence. Before him, there was, you know, a couple books that he, you know, had read. There's some that was published in the early 1920s, things like that. It wasn't a new concept, but the one that really kind of brought it to the mainstream was his influential book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Is that not a title, right? And it's such an enduring title, too. I've, I've never read it, and I'm sure many haven't, but I bet everyone knows the name, even if they've never turned a single page. Exactly. So I think after the break, let's take a look at what this book has to say, and then maybe we can consider if our good old buddy Dale was right or wrong, uh, or maybe just somewhere in the middle. But first, before we do that, Brian, I want you to do me a favor. Sure. Uh, after the break... I want you to tell me a a super influential children's book from your past, something that stuck with you into adulthood and maybe taught you a lesson as a child. Um, After the break, I want you to tell me and the listeners your choice. Will do.
All right, Brian, leave him in here with uh, with bated breath. What's your pick? I actually have two. Uh, one I think is pretty accessible and inspirational, and one that is just dark and German. If that's a way to build up suspense, there. Of course. Well, and 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 I'm gonna say it's not the grim fairy tales, right? It is. It is not. Uh, but when I was in high school, I, I think everybody takes a language course in high school, and mine was German. And I assume most language courses teach using children's books, just because it's the the language that they're on par with when you're learning, or at least mine did. Well, one book we read was called Venein Unugunu Kampt, which means when the Unugunu comes. And it's essentially a story about this monster, the Unugunu, that shows up at this kid's door one day filled with gift gas or poison gas. And he tells this family, you have to feed me, you have to bend to my every whim while I just kind of chill on your couch. And if you don't, I'll release this poison gas and kill you all. Maybe not the greatest kid story, but in the end it reveals that uh, he isn't filled with poison gas at all, and they kind of kick him to the curb. And the moral... I was about to ask, what's the moral there? Go ahead. Yeah, the moral there, or at least my interpretation is, don't cave into bullies or let them hold fake power over you. Uh, I don't know why this stuck with me from a high school course teaching a, I don't know, 10-year-old level book, but that's my darker one. So to lighten up a bit, I'm going to pick from our collective childhood. I'm going to go green eggs and ham, too. I like it. And, and and I think both are great examples. And at the end of this segment, we'll come back, we'll circle back, and I'll let you know why I asked you to share that with me. So, But both excellent choices. Green eggs and ham, great pick, and that would be my pick as well. So we're on the same page there. Yeah, you got to go Seuss, man. Yeah, you got you to go with the Seuss. So the Seuss is loose. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm stealing uh, football rhymes now. Yeah, right. But before we start, I do want to acknowledge that this is a very limited scope. When I say self-help and all of that, I'm well aware of that. Ah, there's other examples of books like Carnegie's. But come on, we're a 25-odd-minute show. I don't have all the time in the world here. Suck it up and enjoy the ride with... How to Win Friends being just a small sample size. Don't be so uptight. That said, thanks for joining us for this extra-long episode where I read the entirety of How to Win Friends. No. Okay. Okay, but seriously. Book review podcast. Right. Right. Okay, but seriously, let's kind of dive a little deeper into it. The first section deals with techniques on how to handle people. I guess in some instances, how to manage people is another example. But Carnegie starts with something I actually really like. It's don't condemn folks, don't criticize people, don't complain. And we're told that today's generation is soft, right? You are such a nerd, by the way. (laughs) But honestly, I think Carnegie's right. People are emotional creatures, and the second you criticize someone, you put them on the defensive. And if your goal is to make people like you, don't make people feel defensive. Just as important, though, that he mentions is to be sincere and honest. This doesn't have to be at odds with the first point, though. Give honest and sincere feedback, but don't have it come off as a critique. Um, And here is where I start to see some problems, though. Dale. How the hell am I supposed to tell someone I don't like their new haircut or their choice in relationships sucks or I don't get that poem they shared with me? Which brings us up to our last point. 
uh, instill a desire or want or an urge into people, essentially spark enthusiasm and desire into folks. But I'm really just not into haikus, I guess. I love how you bring that up right after I just call you a nerd like five seconds ago. I should have held my breath another minute. Can I make a tangential complaint here for a minute? Please do. Please do. That not that what this show's for? Yeah. One of the things I hate when it comes, and this isn't what he's saying, I think, but a very common piece of advice is, oh, do you need to deliver some criticism? Well, sandwich that criticism. Sandwich it between two compliments. And I hate that. You know what you get when you put a piece of between two nice compliments? You get a shit sandwich. Nobody wants to eat a shit sandwich. And the problem is, look, everybody knows what you're doing when you do that. And it always comes off as disingenuous and it always wastes time. So I don't know if our good buddy Dale has better advice, but the shit sandwich ain't it. Well, without going into too deep, we're not a book review pod, so I'm not going to go in and give you a book report here. But I think I think you're kind of getting at what he's getting at. If you're going to give feedback, make sure it's honest and sincere. And the I, the really performative aspect of doing the, I really enjoyed it, but basically avoid the butts altogether is what his advice would be. And that's really tough. I don't know how you do that. And that's where, again, you don't have all the answers, but... Somebody who figured it out, or they're the ones who are successful. That's why they're successful. That bullshit. I, I, I think it's kind of all of our own lived and learned experiences that we have to use and figure out to our advantage. I will say there's almost this unlearnable, almost inherent sincerity that some people have. And totally. I work with a guy who has a really great way of going about this. Like he'll give you criticism, but he poses it in this way where he's so excited to help you get through it. And it doesn't feel fake. It feels genuine. Like it's going to make his day to help you improve. And I've never heard criticism uh, come out of this guy's mouth. That didn't still make it feel good at the end of the day. I don't know how he does it. I couldn't do it. It's got to be some innate skill that you just have because that's really what Dale's getting at here. But it's so tough to do that. And I guess maybe it is a learned skill. Maybe it's practice. But I, I sure as hell don't know how to do it right now. If I did, yeah, my, my life would probably be a lot easier, right? But moving along with the book a little bit. The next section or chapter deals with tips on how to make people like you. Again, tapping into that primal desire that most people have. I just want people to like me. But to sum up this section pretty quickly, it's advice that's been recycled over and over again. You know, Be a good listener. Genuinely be interested in the person. Smile. Say the person's name. When Carnegie was giving this uh, advice in the 30s. Yeah, I'm sure it was revolutionary, but now I feel like these are tools that people still use, and I still see this type of advice time and time again. And I don't necessarily have any problem or you know qualms with these nuggets of advice. I like them. My problem lies in the fact that people still spin this as some new psychology trick on like Twitter or TikTok or something every so often. Which brings me to what I find to be the most morally questionable thing about all of this. Most consumers or people who are buying these self-help books or guides or attending these seminars where they frequent the how-to section, and I'm not talking about instructions, are these repeat customers. Meaning they do quite literally frequent the self-help sections because those are the people who are continually buying these products. 
there's a consumer aspect, a supply and demand aspect. And that's where I just, I, I don't know if I can get past that. Now, I agree with you completely. There's this repeat customer aspect. And this gets to the heart of what I think is really dangerous about this whole genre. And there's a little bit of brain chemistry here. And I am not a doctor. That's my disclaimer for the episode. But I want to talk about a few happy brain chemicals. And I guess me calling them that should further emphasize I have no medical training. But essentially, there's a few types. You got serotonin, oxytocin, endorphins, and dopamine. And each one's going to get triggered through different means. Eat some chocolate, get some endorphins. Hug a puppy, oxytocin. The interesting one here is dopamine. One way to get a good dopamine hit is to do something, accomplish something. So, John, you were in the studio recording not too long ago. That feeling at the end of a day where you know you nailed it, that was dopamine. It felt good, right? At the end of any session like that, there's always that sense of accomplishment. And it's it, it probably comes from a place of I'm so damn exhausted by the end of it that it just feels good to be done with it. Yeah, and it's not a big rush, but it's that warm sense of accomplishment that our brains give us, and that's dopamine's main role. It's to motivate us to get things done by giving us that reward. Now, there's a funny thing about dopamine. If you spend enough time thinking about doing something or talking about doing something, you're essentially going to trick your brain into, I guess you can call a free dopamine hit. And if we're getting that free hit, hey, why bother actually trying to achieve that thing? It knocks us off our course because it's always easier to think about something than actually doing it. Now, let's say somebody out there gets the overwhelming urge to, I don't know, learn how to make friends and influence people. Maybe that's a gap they feel in their lives. Well, as luck would have it, oh, look, there's this book we can pick up. And the book's going to tell us, hey, do these things and you're going to achieve your goal. These things will be yours. Chapter after chapter is going to reinforce the problem we have. Uh, it's, it's going to tell us how we can fix it. It's going to give us this picture of what our life will be like once we have this amazing ability to make friends and influence people. And that's all great. But you put that book down feeling great, feeling like every possibility is open. And because you're riding that high, you don't end up actually putting any of it into practice. Why would you need to? You have that dopamine already. I don't limit this to just self-help books. There are communities out there, support groups and online forums, and just groups of people who get together to talk about either hobbies or side hustles they have or things they're aspiring to. And it becomes this really feel-good echo chamber where you're spending all this time, everybody's talking about what they're going to achieve and giving each other helpful advice. And you're basically, again, tricking yourself. You're not actually achieving those things. You're just talking about those things. And in the end, if one of these books gets you motivated, great. You know, Do what you need to do to get started down your path. But don't let the promises replace actually achieving your goals. And that's the fear I would have for these repeat self-help customers is that you're, you're getting this dopamine hit just from making the purchase. That's definitely an angle I hadn't considered. Yeah. And I think that's a really interesting way to view the entire market, if you will. So that's, I like that. I like that a lot. So to close us out, Brian, I guess, why'd I ask you to bring up your favorite childhood book or anything like that? Do you have any guesses as to why I did that? 
I don't know. What you want to know? What my favorite mortals? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Is that it? No, <laughs> no. But I, I, I truly believe that anything you're going to learn from one of Carnegie's courses or any of these self-help books are things that we've already learned. And Brian, I think you're really hitting on it with the idea of this dopamine hit, if you will. But anything that we will learn from Carnegie's book are lessons that we already know. We just don't want to actually put them in place. There's no magical book with all the answers. And any advice guru or influencer is going to teach you these same lessons over and over again, just through a different lens or just in a different setting. You want people to like you? You want to find more happiness or you want to find all the answers? Well, you likely won't find that. But all I can say is, as someone who appreciates the company of their friends and families and making those human connections, I think that's vital. So don't forget to remind yourself some of life's simplest lessons every once in a while. Like, be kind to others. Remember the golden rule. You know, help your neighbor. Not to be overly feel good and, you know, we're going to get that. Yeah, right, and and get that dopamine going for all of us. I think those are really the crux at what these self-help books are trying to teach you. It always involves two parties, you and someone else. If I could give my one analogy for the show, because I haven't yet, and it's kind of my thing. Go for uh, it. I like to think about all of this, uh, everything you just said, as a discussion on energy, right? So let's go back to high school one more time. Uh, after my Unuguna story, so we're we're leaving German class, we're heading over to science class, and this is really a what part of the school was that in? Like, where were they at? The different wings, or <laughs> yeah, we're we're walking down the hall, we pass our lockers, so on and so forth. Yeah. So let's talk about two types of energy we learn about in your average high school physics class: got potential energy and kinetic energy. Now, potential energy is that energy stored in an object based on its position. So you have a ball suspended in the air or you have a car parked at the top of a hill. Each of those has a good amount of potential energy. Kinetic energy is the energy that object has when it's put in motion. So the ball dropping to the ground or the car rolling down that hill. Now, when we're talking about self-help books, all they're going to ever really do for us is give us that potential energy. They're rolling us up that hill. They're picking us up as that ball and holding us in the air. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's actually going to make a difference is the kinetic energy that results. It's what we take with that book, what we take with that potential energy and do with it. And the only way to do something with it is to act, is to turn this potential energy into kinetic energy. Because otherwise, we're just going to stay at the top of that hill. We're just going to stay suspended in the air and not really do anything. It's up to us to do something with the lessons that we're learning from these resources because they can't do it for us. Yeah. Well, I think that's a nice way to close this out and kind of give us a determination or kind of a scorecard for these how-to guides and and the self-help and the idiot's guide to happiness. I think really at the end of the day, they're all right if you know what you're getting yourself into. But really what matters most is how you apply any of the skills you've learned, whether it be from a book or from bits of wisdom you've got from your grandfather or things like that. But I hate to break it to you. You're going to learn more through experiences than you are in a book. So there are definitely some useful bits of wisdom and how to win friends. And I definitely recommend, you know, taking a deeper look in, into that book if you're interested. Uh, but Really just at the end of the day, Brian, I think you nailed it with potential versus kinetic. You have to 
put it into action. And that's your responsibility to have those experiences. Brian, do you have any final thoughts for us? And then I'll close this out. Only final thought I have is just going off of those book titles. If we ever write a book for this show, we call it Two Dumb Idiots Try to Work Life Good. I like it. I like it a lot. I do want to call out that, Brian, as you mentioned earlier, we've made a little bit more of an effort to be more active on Twitter. Um, I think we've mentioned it a handful of times now, but I just want to say, you know, if you do give us a follow on Twitter, feel free to share any thoughts on the episodes or the show, tweet at us, whatever. We're trying to get more engagement, and there's definitely been some help with topic generation through Twitter. So any engagement angle or aspect we can bring to the show, we would love that. On a good day, we do always try to release a tweet when we put out an episode. Yep. Or we try to. I'll admit the last couple episodes have been inspired by some threads on Twitter, so get in on the action. We would love to have you join us. Well, there it is, Brian. I got nothing else. Bring us home. Bring in that sexy music. (laughs) (laughs) You ever watch Family Guy? Yeah. Remember that episode where Brian writes a self-help book? I, I think I remember that one, yeah. I, I feel like that's a rough but fair representation of the industry. It's obviously satire, but satire is always rooted of a little bit of truth. There's a, a thick line between what's actionable substance and being aspirational Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time.